Is my kid going to stay in the bed of a 34-year-old man? Nah, I'm all right. Do you know what? I'm all right. No, I'm, I'm good, thanks. I'm just going to give that one a miss. I don't fancy that one. Hello, welcome back to episode 21 of Two Pals on a Pod. Yes, it is another solo episode, but this week we do have a big topic to talk about. It is the Michael Jackson allegations. Perhaps, I think, the most controversial topic that we've ever covered on this podcast. We've done ones about Prince Andrew, we've done ones uh, about Princess Diana and that conspiracy theory. Uh, we've also done podcasts about the Tinder swindler and the sort of grooming that went on there in order for him to, to get money from those girlfriends. But this is perhaps the most controversial podcast topic that we've done and this is as to whether Michael Jackson is guilty or innocent. Now I always just kind of assumed that everyone had kind of gone yeah probably guilty and sort of moved on with their life but I did not realise there were so many people who thought he was innocent and this really interested me. I was like hang on a second I thought this was just sort of established now. Yes he probably did do those things. But actually, no, there's a lot of people who disagree. There's a lot of people that think, no, he's completely innocent. He didn't do any of these things. And that's why today's podcast is so interesting to me. That's why I thought, right, I've got to delve into this. Then I've got to find out how can people be so uh, different in opinions on this thing. And it, and it's really tribalistic. It's almost a cult of people who believe Michael Jackson is innocent and people who believe Michael Jackson is guilty and it's this sort of it is a cult-like thing where people are really really passionate about these things despite not actually knowing 100% nobody knows if he's guilty or innocent or anything like that but in today's podcast the aim is to try and go through all the information that I can possibly find obviously I've missed I'll have missed bits here and there I'm sure but I'm going to try and go through absolutely everything I could find and then come to the conclusion at the end of the podcast not 100% we know what happened but What's the most probable, most likely scenario based on the information we have? And that's what I'm going to try to do in today's episode. Yes, I'm going to be talking through uh, the Leaving Neverland documentary. Yes, I'm going to be talking through the parts of that documentary which are not included. Things that undermine the documentary, alternative opinions to that documentary, and contrary beliefs, etc, etc, will all be in this podcast as well. So I want to try and get both sides of the story here because, like I say, there's a lot of people, a lot of people who don't think he is guilty. I was surprised to find that out because I just assumed everyone thought he was. But no, okay, so there's a lot to get through here. There really is a lot to get through. First of all, we are going to go through the two main victims that came forward for the Leaving the Netherlands documentary. That was Wade Robson and James or Jimmy Safechuck. And these two came forward and initially... As kids testified that Michael Jackson had never done anything uh, sexual with them or anything like that and said that he was completely innocent and now as adults have come forward and said well actually no now that we've processed these things now that um, we've come to terms with these things and feel comfortable talking about them he did actually do sexual stuff with us as as kids and he did groom us etc etc and salt us so they they basically have obviously changed their story over time since Michael Jackson's passing um, but initially the documentary starts off with Wade saying he was kind he was generous but he also sexually assaulted me for years and it's weird that juxtaposition already straight into the uh, into the documentary um saying he was kind and generous but he did also sexually assault me like it's a weird sort of yeah well you know he was generous but he did also do these horrific crimes as well just uh, just going to mention that bit there that's a weird way to start and it does start on this weird juxtaposition of almost like two halves of Michael Jackson like the person during the day that was playful and childlike and the person at night who was supposedly abusive etc 
etc. Um, so this it really sets the scene very very early on. Wade was uh, originally from Australia, and we'll see how that develops during this documentary, where he initially starts in Australia and then realizes that to get the career that him and his mum wants, he's going to have to leave and go to America. Whereas James Jimmy, as I'm going to call him, uh, that's because that's what he was referred to. I'm not coming up with that nickname just for my own amusement. He actually was called Jimmy. Um, he was actually from America, lived in America, and uh, basically initially started his career from, I think, a friend basically saying you should get into commercials. And through that avenue, um, he got into commercials and ended up getting a role with Michael Jackson in a Pepsi advert. And so that's how Jimmy initially found uh, Michael Jackson, how they initially got to know each other. As for Wade, he was entering dance competitions. He was Michael Jackson obsessed, I'm pretty sure. that Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was Michael Jackson obsessed, this kid. He went to a number of different dance competitions. He won a competition to see uh, or to meet Michael Jackson and came first place in that competition. Um, now, I, I guess the, op the opening question is, was Michael Jackson setting up these kids' dance competitions in order to get with... Uh, get kids to feed their way into his sort of world in his life if you get what I mean was he setting up these dance competitions as like a an avenue for kids that win these competitions to get to know him at a meet and greet who knows perhaps that's being cynical perhaps it was just something innocent like an innocent prize or let's you know let's do a meet and greet with the kid um, but was that used as an access way to kids is is one of the potential theories um, there but basically um, Wade won this dance competition and Michael Jackson's people were there to interview him as the winner and they then invited him to a concert to a meet and greet and before you know it he's on stage with Michael Jackson and then becomes friends with Michael Jackson through that route but but obviously Michael Jackson then goes back off to America and Wade is there staying in Australia until he then gets flown over and that's where things begin to sort of uh, escalate and, and all that kind of thing so to begin with it's just a meet and greet for Wade he gets invited to perform on stage and with Jimmy soon after this commercial aired uh, Michael called up Jimmy's mum to ask him uh, about sending a camera crew over and that camera crew was there to do a documentary and this was basically the initial stages of that relationship with Michael Jackson and so in hindsight, Jimmy looks back at that and thinks, was that an audition for Michael? Was Michael looking at that as at some sort of audition as to whether he wanted relations with this kid? Um, it, it's difficult to know how truthful these allegations are and everyone has different opinions on them. Personally, for me, I think they feel very real. The emotion, the emotion is clearly there, um, but it's very, very difficult. Some people perceive it as bad acting. Some people perceive it as uh, clearly real and authentic, and it's very, very difficult um, to for people to have nuanced conversations around this because people are vehemently in one camp or the other. So you often get this sort of uh, weird uh, lens that people look through these sort of um, clips, the, the documentaries, the information, the evidence through. They look through the lens of being a fan of Michael Jackson or not a fan. For me personally as a kid, I was like, I, I was a big fan of Michael Jackson as a kid growing up um, at six, seven, eight years old. Uh, one of the first, I think one of the first albums I got was Michael Jackson. I certainly remember This Is It being one of the albums I got. Uh, and seeing that film, I think it was, at the cinema. And so I was a big uh, big Michael Jackson fan as a kid. Uh, I remember having actually a, a portrait of Michael Jackson in a silver frame on my wall opposite. Like my, my, I had a bunk bed, and then opposite the bunk bed at the side was this big... I think it was bigger than A4, I want to say. It was at least A4. No, it must have been bigger than A4. Bigger than A4 with a, a silver frame around it, this sketch of Michael Jackson. Probably from... 
I don't know what era it was. He had sort of long hair at that, this point. Uh, I think it was fairly early. It certainly wasn't later on in life. You don't want that picture. No offence to him, but you don't want that picture on your wall as a kid, do you? Jesus. Nightmares, honestly. No, I mean, no offence to the guy, but come on. Get a different plastic surgeon. What I'm saying is this, right? I was a big fan of him as a kid, so it's not like I'm coming at this from, oh, I hated him all along, I knew all, you know, that kind of thing. I I liked Michael Jackson and his music growing up, I did. I liked him enough to have his portrait on my wall in a silver frame, that's what I'm saying. So this is not coming from a place of someone who despises the guy growing up. Certainly as a kid, I I was really into his music. And still am, you know, he made good music, He made, there's no denying it, okay? Yes, he may have done some horrific things, but can we not enjoy his music? Do you know what I mean? Come on. Uh, some people have different opinions than that, obviously, um, and that's up to you, your own decisions. But what I'm saying is, let's look through this information. Um, Michael invites Jimmy for dinner, okay? So he invites Jimmy, this is after the commercial's been done, he invites Jimmy for dinner, uh, with his family as well, I believe. He says he's lonely, um, he wanted to basically be friends with them, and um, they basically were, they felt how lucky they were. They felt so lucky that Michael Jackson's chosen them. It was like them winning this sort of prize of being Michael Jackson's friend. He'd chosen them, and they felt really special, really lucky. He then, Michael says, um, Michael let Jimmy take his thriller jacket, and then gave him several hundred dollars in cash. Now, you can see that as a very generous thing to do, He's given him his jacket, given him $700 worth of cash, or several hundred dollars in cash. Or you could see that as a start of the grooming phase, if you want to look at it from a cynical perspective. Again, through whichever lens you want to put on, you can twist and spin every bit of information into, oh, Michael Jackson's just really lovely, and he just loved kids. Or he was a horrific pedo. Like, you can, depending on what lens you want to put on, you can spin every single information one way or the other, and it's ve there's very little nuance in which whichever way people want to go. For me personally, as you'll see towards the end of this podcast, I do have my own opinions on this and what I think is the most likely, most probable uh, outcome or most likely thing that happened. Um, so as, as I say, he was giving gifts to, to Jimmy, take the jacket, $700. He then calls the next day and came round to Jimmy's house. Now, whatever you think about whether, whether, whether the allegations are real or not, going round to a kid's house, I'd say objectively, as a guy in your 30s, even if you are lonely, is a bit unusual. You know, it is a bit unusual, befriending a random kid's family. It's not something I've done. Not yet. There's still time, you'd argue. I'm only 22. There's another 12 years. It might be you and your family. No, it won't. It won't, honestly. No chance of that happening. Um, no, I don't even leave the house most of the time, so I'm not going around to your family. Um, what I'm saying is, it's very unusual at best, okay? It's unusual that he's gone, well, just going to pop around. Just, uh, just made a new friend 24, 48 hours ago. Just going to pop around to Jimmy's. It's unusual, okay? I think we can say that objectively. I'm hoping we're all on the same page with that. Um, he Basically, he was uh, hanging out with Jimmy now as a friend, okay? This sort of seven-year-old kid, he'd befriended him. Again, unusual for a man in his 30s. Unusual, there's no doubt about that. We all know Michael Jackson didn't have a childhood. He was he was abused, and he probably was abused, I think, by his dad. Um, by the, I think from the documentaries I've seen, he was, he was definitely abused by his dad, uh, who was very, very harsh on him and very strict on him. But at the same time, it's unusual behaviour. I think we can all agree. Um, and, then it's, and then Jimmy's family basically took Michael in as a son. 
which again, unusual for a guy in his 30s, right? He became essentially like a son to Jimmy's mum, and then Michael invites them to Hawaii. So presumably he was doing something in Hawaii. He invites the whole family over there. Um, but James was not allowed to stay in the same bedroom or the same bed as Michael at this point. It sounds like Michael asked, or James asked, Jimmy asked, um, but it sounds like the, the mum said no at that point. Understandable, okay? Is Mike going to stay in the bed of a 34-year-old man? Nah, I'm alright. Do you know what? I'm alright. No, I'm, I'm good, thanks. I'm just going to give that one a miss. I don't fancy that one. Would be unusual. It's also an unusual request if you're a 34-year-old man. Can you can you just send young Jimmy into my bed? Weird, weird. I think Again, we can say that objectively. Whether anything happened or not is up to you and your own opinions on that. And again, that'll be based on your lens, which you see this, this whole case through. Um, but he wasn't allowed in the bedroom to begin with. Uh, but Michael, in my opinion, in my opinion, it could be consumed, consumed, I can't, I can't say the damn word, that he was essentially, you could be seen, if you're cynical, to say that he was buttering Jimmy up with praise and ma he made him feel special. We, we get that interview, um, that mock interview that they did on the plane with Michael Jackson about how Michael Jackson loved hanging around uh, Jimmy, loved him and he loved his family. That was apparently cut up into different uh, and sort of edited down to make it look sound worse than it was. But still, he's quite clearly giving a lot of praise to Jimmy, saying how much he loves him and his family. So you could see it as him essentially buttering Jimmy up in a way, which is probably not the nicest way to put it, but you know what I mean. Buttering him up with praise uh, to make him feel special, which is part of the grooming process. If you're going to groom somebody, that's the sort of beginning of it. You make the person feel special. And again, I'm going to tie this into the Tinder swindler at some point uh, in, in a few minutes, but um, that's the same sort of process that was used by the tinder swindler as well you groom the person essentially to extort them financially and he did that by making the women in this case feel special on the private jets and with the money etc etc so this is this could be seen as what michael was doing flying out to hawaii letting them live like a luxury lifestyle that kind of thing then michael called from london i love you all and miss you very much uh, I feel like you belong to me as well, is what he said on the phone. So presumably that's what Jimmy had said to Michael. I feel like you belong to me. Michael then reciprocated that compliment and said it back to him. Uh, and he said, I love you all. I miss you all very much. Then it's claimed that Michael introduces Jimmy to um, essentially pleasuring himself. Let's let's just say it how it is, while in a hotel in Paris. That's what Jimmy is, claims is the first time that was ever introduced to him, was in Paris, the city of love. You know, if you're going to introduce it anyway, do it in Paris. No, come on. Let's no, let's address this seriously. But I will be making little quips like that. So if you can't handle it, don't continue watching. But what I'm saying is this was apparently the moment where Michael introduced that into this relationship, friendship, whatever you want to call it in Paris. And it was classed as this sort of way of bonding, of expressing love to one another. That's what it was passed off as. Now, again, this is coming from one person. If you're someone who believes Michael Jackson is innocent, you're going to go, oh, he's talking rubbish, it's a lie, he's made up. If you believe Michael Jackson guilty, you're going to go, mm, no, the details that he's coming across and, and saying here sound very clear, sound very um, refined, very detailed, very vivid. Therefore, I believe this to be true. So it depends which, again, which way you want to swing this. You can spin it whichever way you want as lies, or you can spin it as, no, this sounds pretty real. But that's that's what um, Jimmy claims, and that's what he claimed in the documentary. And then this became a sexual uh, relationship very, very quickly, almost like a, a full-on married relationship. 
and they were hanging around with each other 24-7, and uh, his mum basically said that they did, she became very distant from Jimmy and felt very separated from Jimmy around this time at the start of his tour. Um, so again, if you're going back to grooming and that potentially being uh, an avenue or a, a thing that was done here, and whether, the, whether he was or wasn't groomed, if you do think about the grooming process, make the person feel special, separate them from their guardian, parents separate them from friends family whatever just keep them to yourself that's part of the grooming process this is like grooming 101 so again that feeds in the story the story sort of makes logical sense at the moment Do you know what i mean it makes logical sense from uh, from that sort of clear narrative of how of the stages of grooming you, you can see it sort of building up here the, the clear narrative arc whether you believe the these things to be true at all and maybe it's just a well-constructed made-up story again is up to you but it's now according to jimmy become a sexual couple relationship between him and michael and he's now created a separation between the child and the mum um with with the kid almost encouraging that separation as well like that's that's the weird sort of twisted part of this when um his mum wouldn't let him do certain things that was seen as oh, my mum's a bad person. And so it almost becomes that Michael turned the kid on his mum. And so that was also used as well. Uh, and then basically Jimmy goes on to go into quite vivid details, explicit details about the things he was asked to do um, to Michael involving uh, his nipples and um, bending over, etc., etc. And this is all for um, Michael's pleasure. And these are the things that were apparently done in this hotel room. So he goes into quite de uh, quite a lot of details. I'm not going to go through them all. They're not particularly nice details to listen to for anybody. But he goes into very, very vivid and specific details. Now, at this point, we're just going to pause. Okay, we're just going to pause at this point. If you're going to make something up, if you're going to lie, if you're going to completely fabricate things, I don't know if you go into this many details. I don't know if you go into such specifics about the French kissing that we did, about specifically what he liked doing to his nipples, about, oh, I, I was bending over for this reason, or, um, you know, he kissed this part of my body. I don't know if you go into so many different layers of detail if you're making this up. You probably keep it quite general. You probably say he did X, Y, and Z. This is very, very vivid. It's very, very detailed. Yes, you could say, well, you can come up with vivid and detailed um, stories with enough time, with enough repetition. You could argue that, potentially, but I think the emotion on his face, I think the way that he expressed it, it came across to me like he was telling the truth. Now, again, up to your own opinion as to whether you think that, that is the case or not. But for me, I think if we just pause at this moment, we can sort of say, well, you know, if you're a man coming out and saying these things it is not a nice thing to be talking about nobody wants to be talking about these kind of things these allegations are not easy to talk about they are there's a certain level of shame associated with it and it's embarrassing for some people as well and um, this idea that you know someone who is a man a a, uh, a you know, not middle-aged man i think he's in his late 30s early 40s but is coming out and saying that he was abused is it's not something that as men we're supposed to feel. Like we're supposed to be seen as the strong ones. That's sort of stereotypically how we're supposed to act and be. So for him to be so vulnerable and so uh, detailed and in, in these sort of explicit things is, again, probably not the most likely thing to do if you're making this up. You know, this is not a nice thing to come out and say that you've had these things done to you. Again, does it mean he's telling the truth? Does it mean he's lying? up to your own opinion on this in my opinion i see truth from what he's saying 
However, there are some rebuttals, some alternative opinions which we are going to go through which undermine certain elements of this story in certain parts and they do undermine some of the things that Jimmy says as well. So stay tuned for that because that is an important part of this story. So you could argue that if other elements of the story are untrue, could this element of the story be untrue as well? But having watched the documentary, I didn't feel like he was lying at this moment. So he then says, um, parents' rooms start to get further and further away from Michael's room and, and his room. And uh, his mum basically said that this seemed deliberate. This seemed like a deliberate thing that they deliberately made the rooms further and further away from Michael's to create that distance to allow these uh, horrific acts to take place much easier and to create that distancing between the son and between the mum. So again, whether you think that's true or not, I think it's likely that there was perhaps, you know, putting hotel rooms that were not as near as they once were to my, to Michael's. Whether that was deliberately done or just coincidence is, is tough to tell. But I think it would be unusual for the mum to be so on board with lying about this. Do you know what I mean? Because this doesn't paint out any of the mums in a very good light at all. I mean, by this point, I should say they are, in case you haven't realised, they are now sleeping in the same bed as, as a 34-year-old man. So this doesn't particularly paint any of the mums in a very good light at all over the way that they protected the, the safety of their children. So why they would lie and say, you know, how badly they parented their children... It doesn't really sort of it doesn't really make sense to me why they'd come out and, and say those things because it's not painting them in a very good light. I don't really know why they lie. But let, let's continue through this because again there might be some alternative reasons um that we're gonna come up uh, later on in the podcast. Jimmy then says that Michael would then run through drills pretending that someone was coming in so that um he had practice of uh, getting dressed quickly so that they would never get caught and that kind of thing. Again, another sort of detail that's unusual to include. I don't know if you if you were lying about that, would you put that in there or not? I, I don't know. It, it does seem like a, an interesting detail. It's a detail which tells us that okay, he was planning for this um, sort of potential out you know outcome of being caught or if someone was knocking on the door. You know, you've got to prepare yourself to to cover these things up. So he's sort of putting that bit in the story to say, well, no, we were actually drilled on these things. Uh, but I don't think I heard, I don't know if Wade ever said that he was ever drilled on these things. Perhaps this was just Jimmy who said this. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but again, this is all about uh, increasing the bond between the abuser and the child and having this sort of, it's our secret type mentality. So it's all about manipulation to cover his back, Michael Jackson's back. Um, that's if, of course, you choose to, to believe what Jimmy says. So these drills are being done and it was all about not getting caught, okay? And it's almost childlike. You know, if you when you're a kid, not getting caught by your parents, you're sort of you're a little bit sort of cheeky, you're a little bit sort of maybe not quite naughty, but I think cheeky is perhaps the right word where there is that sort of feeling of, oh, let's not get caught by our parents, let's be a little bit sneaky about things. And it's almost that applied to horrific, horrific acts on a child. But it is with this sort of childlike mentality of, oh, let's not get caught, or, you know, and it's actually, no, it's an adult abusing a child here. So it is weird, but it does appeal to a child not getting caught by an adult. It's that sort of, it's, it's us, uh, us against the world, us against our parents kind of thing, um, is very appealing to a child so I could see how that could be appealing uh, if anyone finds out my life is over and so is yours and this was said over and over again to Jimmy this reiteration of if you tell anybody 
this is over for both of us. So again, furthering the manipulation, etc. We hear about these kind of things being done a lot with these uh, sort of grooming um, uh, type situations. Uh, I think a similar thing was done with, uh, I can't remember whether it was Epstein maybe, or someone like that. Uh, but yeah, these kind of things generally happen. This sort of threat of if you tell anybody, if you do this, then it's over for both of us. A similar sort of thing was done with the Tinder Swindler as well. Um, don't tell anybody in these kind of threats over the phone that were done. So there's a lot of these kind of similar sort of traits that we see uh, in this case as in a lot of other different situations. So again, this kind of makes some sort of sense that that will be said. Michael then claims to Jimmy that he was his first sexual experience, which... I find hard to believe, to be honest. I find that very hard to believe. Was he saying this? Was he lying to Jimmy just to try and make him feel special? Again, trying to increase that bond, that connection between the two of them. Again, depends how you want to view this. Depends on what lens you want to put on it. Um, was he just lying to try and make him feel special? Or was that actually true? Was that his first experience? I think it's highly unlikely, personally, that that was his first experience. But that's when he told Jimmy. Um, then he, uh, there was lots of abuse at the uh, Neverland Ranch, Neverland Ranch, uh, and this was sort of this abuse was sort of mixed in with play and sort of excitement and that kind of thing, perhaps to normalise it and make these things seem like just sort of a form of play. This is what we do to show love to each other, and obviously in reality, it's abuse. Um, and uh, again, further, Michael again begin, uh, begins to push the, the kid away from their parents. Um, your mum is mean, women are evil. And again, feeding into these sort of narratives of your mum is stopping us from having fun or spending time together, that kind of thing. This is all claimed by Jimmy that um, he was trying to push them away from his... He was trying to push him away from his parents and basically saying that his mum was mean. Some people claim that that's not true and actually, you know, Michael had great relationships with women and that kind of thing. But I think what is true is that he didn't necessarily invite, I don't think he invited that many girls over. It was mainly guys over that he was inviting to sleep with. I mean, he seems to have had a bit of a preference of spending time with, with uh, young boys as opposed to young girls. But doesn't necessarily mean that he felt women were evil, but that's certainly what Jimmy is saying that he told him. Again, another sort of unusual thing, like why would you lie about that? I don't know, that doesn't really, it doesn't really back up that much to be honest it's an unnecessary detail but it's in there anyway i don't really know why why lie about that but there you go um but again as i've put down here it's so similar to the the tinder swindler in that he was using his wealth supposedly wealth and status to lure these kids in and then he'd give them the world he would give 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 and then use, uh, which, which would then increase the attachment that the kids would have to him, and then use and abuse this love uh, in order to, um, you know, for, for his own self gain, basically, uh, or for for his own grooming purposes. And that's essentially what the Tinder Swindler did in order to extort money from women. He increased the sort of love and attachment between the two of them, and then basically fabricated this sort of terrible thing that happened in order to use the, the trust that he bought in order to get money from them. A little bit similar to what Michael Jackson's doing, he would give them the world and then expect something back in return, which would be sexual favours, according to these two uh, kids, or now adults. So basically, you'd make the, the person feel in debt to them, and this is sort of classic grooming 101. Again, like this follows the sort of narrative. You can sort of see this sort of narrative of grooming building and this sort of abuse and that kind of thing. So it seems, it also seems a little bit methodical as well, which would maybe imply that it wasn't his first time. 
He seems to have had a clear sort of method here. Don't get caught. This is what we're going to do. This is how these things happen. And it was almost like a step-by-step -step type thing. Um, so this is the picture that's been painted by Jimmy anyway. Um, but yeah, basically he tried to make them feel like Michael Jackson was their world. And, and that was the, a part of the, the grooming process, basically. And this was the deliberate thing to, to try and distance him from his family. Um, then we go on to uh, Wade, who in 1990 moves to America. He moves to uh, America from Australia. Uh, I think he was trying to build up a dance career in Australia. It was difficult, really, to get going, and you're never really going to do it to the same sort of level in Australia as you can in America. So they move, and I think in doing that, I'm pretty sure like, the whole sort of family dynamic shifts and changes. I think his parents split, and then basically... Him and his mum moved to America at this point. And Michael said when they first met him, if you're ever in America, get in contact and, you know, we should meet up or whatever. And as they were in America, they decided to meet up with him. And his mum was calling, calling, calling all around the TV networks and TV stations in order to try and get some sort of contact with Michael Jackson. Now, already I'm thinking, you know, yes, this mum wants the best for her son. But it's also clear to me that she's one of them mums that would that sort of pushes quite a lot. One of those sort of dance mums, as I like to, to refer to them, if you've ever seen the show. Um, so, yeah, she's called around all the TV networks to meet Michael Jackson. Now, at this point, I guess you could say there's no indication that he's an abuser or anything like that, and that perhaps it's just an innocent thing to try and get her son, who loves Michael Jackson, to meet uh, to meet the guy in America, as as he promised. But it does seem like a, a very sort of pushing him out there. Like, can we get him out there as much as possible? And I, it makes me uncomfortable, to be honest, when I see kids being pushed by their parents so far into the limelight at a young age. Doesn't make me comfortable at all. Um, but anyway, uh, basically, Michael asked to meet Wade at the studio. So they did get hold of him. And Michael claimed to remember Wade from his time in Australia and eventually got hold of him and uh, asked him to go to the studio. They met at the studio um, once they got in contact. What I sort of wonder is, how did they manage that? Yes, she was calling around the TV stations, but who was facilitating this sort of avenue to Michael Jackson? This is one of the most famous people on planet Earth at this point. And what, she's just calling up a few stations? Yeah, my kid was promised to speak to Michael Jackson. I'm sure there's a lot of kids who want to speak to Michael Jackson. How did this pathway get... How did it find its way to Michael Jackson so easily? I am, I'm confused by that. Very, very confused. Was there a pathway for kids to get to Michael Jackson? Was that a deliberate thing because he wanted to abuse them? Was this just coincidental or did he actually remember Wade from his time in Australia and remembered that thing that he said to Wade even though it was, I think, perhaps we're talking months or maybe in a year or two uh, prior to this. I think it's unlikely that he remembered. I, I think he said that just to make them feel special again. But uh, it is interesting how he managed to meet Wade at the studio. So they met up and the family was invited to Neverland the next day. Again, unusual. <sighs> meet the family next day. Do you come to Neverland? He's just sort of, as he cleared the schedule? You know, if he's Michael Jackson... Surely he's got a lot going on. He's in the studio, clearly probably quite busy, got things to do. Next minute, schedule was cleared. He's invited the family over to Neverland. I mean, it's difficult for me to find a day to just go fancy just messing around on some rides. Do you know I mean, now my Michael Jackson, do you know what I mean? I used to also find a day off, to be honest with you, with the podcast and main channel, Patreon. He's got, you know, he's released albums. He's got album after album, song after song. And lots of resources to do it 
and yet he's finding an entire day in his schedule just the next day casually. I don't know. That little things like that sort of makes me think, hmm, was he setting out days to do this abuse? Or is this just made up from Jimmy? Is this not true? How could he have found a day in his schedule so easily to invite the family over? I don't know. It just seems a little bit unusual. But anyway, at this point, Wade's seven, his sister's ten. He asks if the kids want to stay with him after just hours of meeting. He asks if the kids want to stay. Again, unusual. This is a guy in his thirties asking if the kids want to stay. Uh, the second night, um, Wade wakes up to Michael Jackson sobbing in the corner and saying, I'm just so sad that you're going to go, uh, that you're leaving, basically. So they were leaving the next day. This is the second night at this point. And so apparently um, he woke up and Michael was, was crying in the middle of the night in the corner. A very childlike thing to do. Obviously, we know he's got definitely childlike tendencies for sure. Very strange thing to do as well. Just randomly crying in the corner in the middle of the night. Save the tears for tomorrow, MJ. Save the tears for tomorrow. That in itself is weird. But anyway, like I say, he wakes up the second night and uh, Michael's sobbing in the corner, crying. I just, I want you to stay. I can't believe you're going tomorrow. I'm so sad. Again, you could look at this and say, ooh, manipulation. Ooh, he's trying to, again, get him to stay longer so he can groom him, so he can abuse him. Or you could say, that's not true. Jimmy's lying. Again, you can just sort of pull the rug from underneath any of these sort of theories or ideas, really, depending on what you want to believe. A lot of people want to believe a certain narrative and just stick to that narrative. I think it's best to try and be open to hearing all the information and trying to come to as best of a conclusion as you can. You're never going to be 100% on these things, but I think you can come to a reasonable conclusion from the information that we're given. So basically, Wade then feels guilty, and so the next day um, convinces his parents, and his parents allow him to stay for longer, because he's made to feel guilty. He's essentially being manipulated into staying for longer. He wanted to stay as well, but he felt bad about Michael, Michael crying, etc. Um, so after 48 hours, he's now staying with him for five more days, He'd only known him, you know, two days, barely barely knew him before then, met him once on a meeting group, and now he's staying over for five days. Again, that's if you're to believe the story that's created by Jimmy. It'll be quite a random story to just fabricate this, though. So, I don't know, you've got to believe certain bits. You can't just say no to everything. There's got to be certain bits of truth in this. Uh, whether this led to abuse or not is, again, up to your own opinion. But uh, it sounds like uh, Michael then started the abuse on the first night and begins escalating the abuse quite quickly. The details are, are so vivid and specific that it's it feels highly unlikely that it was made up. They're so, so specific and graphic and, you know, very, very explicit that it does feel very, very strange for them to, to have been made up. You could argue that, again, you know, if you were to make these things up, you've got to make them so outrageous for people to take attention, uh, for, for anyone to give any attention to it. But the way that he describes this in the detail, again, I didn't see any obvious signs of deception there for me personally. Again, you probably come to your own conclusions on that. By the end of the week, it felt like us versus them. Using distancing, again, as, as another grooming tactic. Same tactics that were used, uh, supposedly, on Jimmy. He then takes Wade to LA with his family, and the abuse continues in the room next door to his mum. <sighs> and it's, it's one of those things where, at what point, as a parent, do you go, yeah, I'm fine with my kid just staying in the bed with... You know, someone who, yes, is on TV, yes, he's a celebrity, but in relative terms is a stranger. That I find very, very strange to me that you would do that as a parent. And I'm sure they feel a lot of shame about that, about that now, uh, particularly if they presumably believe their kids and what they're saying around these allegations. 
But um, yeah, it does feel very strange at what point you allow that to happen. And at what point you start to think, huh, this is weird. This wasn't even just a one-off. This is this is every night they're sleeping together. I mean, it's unusual. You know, as a seven, year, eight-year-old, you don't sleep with your parents. Never mind some random person who's not your parent. You know, you sleep in your own bed at seven or eight, generally. You know, there might be some exceptions, but generally you sleep in your own bed at seven or eight. So to even have him sleeping in the bed with another adult is is strange. Like, it is strange. There's no doubt about that. So because we know that to be true, and we've got to work out based on the facts that we know, we know he slept with kids, we and for a prolonged period of time, uh, because he's admitted that as of as of the kids, we know that he kissed them on the cheek. We know that he spent a lot of time around them, would hold hands with them, would hug them, etc., etc. We know those things to be true, factually. Everything else is sort of up for debate as to whether you believe and the person, depending on how convincing you think they are. But we pretty much know that those things are fact. So it's then whether you want to say, well, that's creepy at best, weird at best. Or whether you want to say, no, there's no smoke without fire. And therefore, this must have happened, what they're now claiming. So, again, I'd be curious to hear from people that think he's innocent as to why they think it's acceptable in any way, shape or form for a child to sleep with someone who's not their parent in a bed. It's For me, it's very, very unusual. I'd love to hear from somebody that thinks that that is in any way acceptable. I personally don't think it's acceptable in any way, shape or form. And so moving away from Wade and his family, what was happening in LA with this abuse, Jimmy's mum and dad basically have come out and said that they got lost up in this sort of fairy tale of this Michael Jackson world that they've been brought into. And at this point, Jimmy and Michael had basically become like a married couple and even had this sort of mock fake marriage in one of Michael's rooms, which... Again, it's also unusual. I mean, it is unusual. Again, you could say, well, they're just, they were friends, and, you know, friends do silly things, don't they? Yeah, but he was also a 34-year-old bloke pretending to marry a child. Hmm, let's just ponder on that for a second. Um, so, you know, again, it would be an unusual detail for Jimmy to make up. Do you know what I mean? There's so, it gets to a point where it's like, yeah, so you're saying he's making this up? He's making this up, is he? Okay, this, this, and this. It gets to a point where the odds are so small that you'd make up every single one of these details that something has to give. Do you know what I mean? Even if he didn't do the sexual acts of abuse, okay, he maybe did the mock wedding, though. We know he definitely slept in the same bed. We can say that's unusual. Don't we? We, can, we can make that distinction of that is unusual behaviour for a man in his mid-30s, okay? That'd be unusual for me to do as a 22-year-old, okay? Never mind a guy that is absolutely, well and truly, a fully formed mid 30 year old at this point okay um again you you could you know talk about his childhood abuse and trauma that kind of thing but in general it's weird behavior uh, jimmy was into jewelry and michael would gift him uh, some some bit piece of jewelry in return for some of these acts some of these sexual favors and he still has these rings which i think is interesting because if this was about money then you'd sell the rings right you'd sell the rings you'd get in the money they look like pretty expensive rings okay they probably were He's still got the rings. He said it's uncomfortable for him to look at them, hold them, touch them. So why has he kept them? That, I think, is a bit unusual. Why hasn't he sold them if he cared about the money? You know, if this is about money, which some people claim it is, then why doesn't he just sell the rings privately? You know, why why wouldn't he do that to raise some money? They are, by the looks of it, quite expensive rings. So I'm not quite sure on that. That seems a bit unusual. 
Uh, why has he kept them? You know, if, if he's abused by Michael Jackson, why has he kept them? You could also argue as well. So there's lots of different things, like I say, and that's why this is such a difficult case to call or give a, a, a viable opinion on because there's so many different bits of information that contradict. And it's almost, it's on the sort of level of Madeleine I can this case, really, in terms of um, how many dis- different bits of information from different places and that sort of partly contradicts each other but also there's probably some truth in that it's very very complicated to try and dig through it all that's why we don't have concrete answers really um wade and and mj uh, would speak on the phone every single day for two years and michael would sing a lullaby has anyone seen my little one my little one is here not one of his best songs, got to be honest. There's a reason why that didn't want, that one did not end up on the album. Do you know what I mean? That was not one of his best ones. It needs to get the melodies right. I don't want to criticise him, but if I am going so, I'm going to criticise him for the music. Because that has a lullaby. doesn't even rhyme. It's not really, you know, lyrically not that great. No, I mean, who am I to criticise MJ's lyrics? But what I'm saying is, I just think he could have done better. That's all I'm saying on the lullaby. He could have come up with a better little tune. That's all I'm saying. He's a musician. Alright, get inventive, for God's sake. Well, he used to um, have a nickname for Wade, My Little One, okay, which is unusual. You know, if if he is supposed to have been a friend of Wade's, as opposed to, you know, anything more than that, you know, a friend calling another friend My Little One would be unusual. It would imply almost like a, that's a father and son relationship, or... Yeah, I think basically just a father and son relationship, isn't it? That That's not a friend relationship. You don't call up my little one in a friend relationship. Anyway, that's that's what Wade claims he was called. Um, Michael eventually brings Wade back to LA. The abuse continues. He shows him graphic videos now, so it's sort of progressing here. Again, you would say, you know, this is a very linear progression. This is a very clear progression that sort of goes upwards in a very clear way, progressing, escalating upwards and upwards and upwards. Is that too linear and too sort of cliche of a of an increase and an escalation, or is that actually in line with what grooming and groomers do? Again, up up to your own opinions on that, I'm sure. But um, showing graphic videos and pictures, etc., to Wade, who at this point is seven, eight, nine years old, ridiculous. Um, Wade, uh, Michael then asks Wade's parents if he can stay for a year. Now, this is where we get into this sort of moment where I'm like, right, we need to pause here again. Now, you might not think the abuse is true, the allegation might not be true, but I think we can say with some degree of certainty that Michael actually asked for Wade to stay with him for a year. How cheeky of the guy, at best cheeky, of the guy to go, uh, can I just can I just have your child for an entire year, please? Yeah. And people might go, oh no, but he, he wanted to help him in his career. Right, okay. You can help him with, with his career, but not stay with you for a year? That's weird. That is weird, asking a mother to have their child for a year. That is odd. That is an odd thing to do. Whichever way you want to spin it, that's weird, okay? Again, I don't get the feeling that the parent's lying about that either. Again, I don't know why the parent would make that up. It's a weird thing to make up. Uh, But the parent responded with, absolutely not, was was her response. Uh, And the the abuser uh, created, the abuser in this case, Michael, uh, creates resentment between the child and the mum. Again, it's back to that thing of, the child wants to stay with Michael for a year, the mum's saying no because it's in the best interest of the child. That then in turn turns the child on the mother and it's that sort of uh, way that abusers can manipulate people into turning on those around them who maybe do actually have their best interests at heart. 
So um, basically Michael then makes it seem like uh, his mum is the enemy for not allowing him to stay as that abuse and manipulation continues. Um, Michael then says to the mum, I always get what I want. The mum says, not this time. Um, and, Michael, and then the mum goes on to say, I will share Wade with you, but I'm not going to leave him with you. This is just ridiculous. Right. This is why I think this part's true, because if you're going to make something up, you don't make yourself sound this stupid. I mean, this this bad, this terrible. At what point do you say to a person who is not outside of your family, I'm going to I'm happy to share my child with you. What? What? Sorry. Are you listening to the words coming out of your mouth just because the guy's a celebrity? You don't share your child with a random guy. What do you mean share? share as well like he's some sort of toy or something very very strange so if if she was lying why would she lie to make herself look this bad she's making herself look like a terrible parent here let's you know no bones about it she's making herself look horrible with with what she's saying here why would she lie about these things so i'm going to assume and I'm fairly certain that these conversations did take place that michael did say actually i want your child to stay with me for a year and uh, Michael did say, I always get what I want, which is a very arrogant thing to say. And I do think Michael had a big ego. I do think he was arrogant. I do think he uh, was very cheeky in, in that sense. And probably, I think you could say more than cheeky, to be honest. He definitely had a big ego. There's no doubt about that. But what would you expect? You know, the guy was showered with praise and love and affection and was on stage all the time performing and was, you know, rightly applauded for his ability to entertain. He was a great entertainer, very talented guy. He's probably going to have a big ego. But I, I think, for me, I could see this as ringing true, to be honest with you. And so, again, I think this just adds a bit of validity to what's been said here. Even if you don't believe the, in the abuse that's happening, um, I think you've got to sort of say, yeah, this probably happened, this. And this, in itself, is just a, a glimpse into the window of what Michael's probably like behind closed doors. I don't think the mum's lying about this. I don't know why she would lie about this. It's a weird thing to lie about. It's a weird thing to make up. Um, so she basically denied him being able to um, have Wade for a year. I mean, ugh, it's a child, this. It's ridiculous. Like, they're showing some sort of pets or something. I mean, it's very strange. Uh, it's this weird sort of tug of war between um, Wade uh, and uh, Michael and Wade and uh, his mum and Wade. So this sort of sharing of your, of your child with a stranger is, is such a bizarre way of, of phrasing it. Um, but this uh, new life also divided the family. As I said, this, this life really did divide up the family. Family. Uh, the mum was clearly desperate to put her child out there and so they moved from Australia, divided up the family, she moved away from her husband and the dad was basically isolated in America now with um, Wade's brother Shane and it was just those two. Um, his mum took uh, took Wade and his sister to America to try and make Wade into the superstar, to try and leverage the connection with Michael Jackson into turning him into a big well-known celebrity and start his career basically that was that was the thinking um so again you know she comes across as a bit desperate for the sort of limelight and fame and that kind of thing for her child which again you could say is her wanting the best for her child or her being a pushy parent whichever way you want to look at it so she leaves behind her life and her marriage uh, in order to move to america but something interesting happens at this point when they do eventually move to america Wade isn't really in the picture as much at this point and is essentially sidelined by Macaulay Culkin and um, this he was basically now seen as uh, Michael's new best friend. So Wade was no longer uh, in the picture and it was now Macaulay Culkin um, who, was, who was now close to Michael Jackson. Now, 
was that because Wade had been back to Australia and Michael just they'd not been keeping in contact and maybe Michael just didn't want to be friends with her anymore or was that because he moved on to a new child and wanted to now abuse a different child now Macaulay Culkin has always said along with Brett Barnes that they would never had any sexual contact with Michael Jackson they were never abused they said that 100% that never ever happened at any point they completely refute that and I think there's some interesting extra information which we're going to get into at the end of this podcast uh, which sort of undermines the Leaving the Netherlands uh, documentary um, but I think it's very very interesting that Macaulay Culkin has always stood by that so has Brett Barnes again you could argue well, that's what happens sometimes in these abuse uh, abuse cases. People don't talk about these things. They don't feel like they can. The abuse stays with them for the rest of their life. And not everyone feels like they can come out and talk about it. So again, you can flip it and twist it and spin it whichever way you want, depending on whichever narrative you want to believe. And people will do that. The debate online around these things is so... It's actually horrific, to be honest with you, because there's so many people who think with 100% certainty that they know the truth. He was innocent, he was guilty, and it's just so not true to believe either of those things 100%. I don't believe, you know, either way 100%. I have a a gut feeling, I have um, certain opinions, but I do not know 100% definitively enough to be so passionate. And people get very, very passionate and to the point where it's, it turns to trolling, it turns to um, you know really hateful abuse. And I've seen that from some Michael Jackson fans who say he's innocent, being very, very hateful towards people who claim that he's guilty. Now, I can understand it's not nice to hear someone say that about someone you idolise, but if Michael Jackson's whole thing was about love and that kind of thing, supposedly then why why would you be so hateful to someone else? Surely your um, instinct should be to be not accepting of it, but to sort of be like, well, they've got their opinion, I don't agree with them, and I'm just going to be pleasant towards them, because that's what Michael would have wanted. He wouldn't want me to be hateful, because that's not what he believed in. So I don't get why that mentality doesn't kick in, but again, this idolisation leads some people to think that Michael Jackson... Uh, leads people that think Michael Jackson was innocent to be so vicious in their defence of him. Equally, people that think Michael Jackson was guilty can be very, very vicious the other way and and claim to know 100% that he was guilty. When in actual fact, nobody knows. But we do have certain information that can lead us to swing one way or the other, I think. So it's important to say that even though Wade now claims that Macaulay Culkin was the new kid, essentially, that was being abused, Macaulay Culkin has always said that never happened. So, you know, again, you could sort of come to your conclusions around that. Uh, At this point, Wade only saw Michael four times, five times, maybe six times in a year at this point. So he's just moved from Australia to try and kickstart his career. And now he isn't barely seeing Michael. And there doesn't really seem to be a clear reason for that. It might well be that because of this sort of tug of war between Wade and his mum around whether Wade could stay with Michael for a year or not, it might have been that because his mum denied um, Michael to do that with Wade, that Michael went, right, well, I'm not going to see you as often then. I'm not going to keep in contact. I'm going to go be friends with another kid. And maybe that was Michael doing that as a way to get back at Wade, maybe. Let's get with this. Um, let's hang around this kid that is really well known, really popular, really famous, and let's make Wade and his mum really jealous of that. Because this could have been you. Maybe that's the way. Again, I'm trying to think of alternative ways of viewing these things, because I think to look through things with just one lens is a bad way to go about things. Let's try and flesh out and look at different opinions, different perspectives, and I think you can come to a better conclusion on that. I think that's a possibility that Michael might have just gone, do you know what, you didn't let me have 
uh, have your child, which is a weird thing, uh, for a year. So I'm just going to now not see you very often. Four times, five times, six times a year now. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was what it was. It was just a changing um, or a sort of um, fraying of their relationships. Their relationship begin to sort of untangle as a result of this dispute. You could you could see it as that. But equally, that would also be admitting that the, there is some truth to Michael wanting Wade to stay with him for a year. So you can't really have one or the other. It's got to be both, you know. If, if that is the reason why Michael stopped being friends with Wade, then... It means that Michael wants his way to stay with him for a year, which is a weird thing for a grown man to want for a child, you know? So, again, I'm curious to hear people's thoughts on that. Uh, at this point, Jimmy stops frequent contact with Michael as well, um, but he could go to Neverland. So he sort of had this sort of freedom to go to Neverland, and people who worked there claimed that, yeah, Jimmy and his family were always there. Like, when Michael wasn't there as well, like, there was always kids just going to Neverland. People had this sort of freedom to turn up and use it almost like a holiday home which I find as a, a weird thing um, and because again we can probably assume there's some truth in that it does make Michael sound generous, it does make Michael sound loving and caring was that to just further the abuse or was that genuine was that actually just something that he was doing uh, because he's a kind, generous, caring person again very very difficult for us to know and it depends on which way you want to swing regarding Michael Jackson uh, in general but he certainly was frequently going to Neverland despite not necessarily being in regular contact with Michael which is unusual because you know it, it's sort of strange you would have thought he'd still be friends or still be seeing him personally but clearly wasn't he was also becoming a teen around this point and so he hypothesized theorized that because he was becoming a teen that's why Michael was no longer seeing him as often because he's not as young and therefore um, was not to Michael's desires, I guess, is what he's implying there. Uh, but then that doesn't, again, sort of falls down because he then does later supposedly go on to be abused by Michael um, when he's, you know, 14, 15, 16. So it, again, doesn't quite make 100% sense, but maybe Michael just had a preference for younger kids and that's who he hung around with most. I don't know. Uh, Macaulay Culkin and Brett Barnes, like I say, both deny any of these uh, allegations. They say no sexual contact ever took place with Michael. Um, a 13 year old then comes forward this is the first line of allegations and this is I think in 1993 I think it is I might have got the date wrong but I feel like it was 1993 uh, a 13 year old comes forward with allegations and Michael is charged with child abuse Wade is questioned but denied absolutely everything he denied anything happened Jimmy testifies that Michael did absolutely nothing to him so both of them have said nothing happened and therefore um, backed up Michael, basically, in this first case. Then Michael Jackson does a statement, this sort of video statement, where he's wearing this sort of, like, reddish shirt type thing. It's quite a famous sort of video statement that he releases, basically denying any wrongdoing. And then I've written this down here. This is a weird quote. Again, sort of gives you an insight into perhaps a bit of ego, arrogance. I don't know, it's a weird thing to say anyway. Maybe it's just childlike, I don't know. It's very easy to just spin everything off as childlike, though. He says, If I'm guilty of anything, it's of giving all that I have to help children all over the world. Oh, aren't you good? Oh, such a good guy. It is of loving children of all ages and races. Well, probably I'm going to say that, Michael, not with the allegations. It is of gaining sheer joy from seeing children with their innocent and smiling faces. Now... This is quite weird. If I'm guilty of anything, it's guilty of being a good bloke. That's essentially what he's saying. Which, again, it's a weird defence. It is. It's a weird defence. 
I am guilty of something. I'm guilty of being bloody brilliant, is what I am guilty of. Um, so it's it's unusual. It's a bigging of himself. Uh, you know, he bigs himself up, which is is a you know in UK culture at least will be is an odd thing to do. We don't tend to do that up. Uh, we don't tend to do that very often over here. Perhaps you do big yourself up a bit more over in America. I don't really know, but certainly unusual. I did, however, think that this almost did come across as somewhat performative. I, I felt the TV message. Perhaps it was performative because he was reading off a, a teleprompter. Perhaps. Perhaps it was performative because he was being deceptive. Tough to tell, but it, I think he is a good actor. Whether you like it or not, Michael Jackson, I think, is a good actor. He's clearly a performer. He's on stage, an entertainer. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he could be acting and putting all this on and actually lying about certain things. He was clearly a good actor, in, in my opinion. From what we saw in music videos, from what we saw on stage, he was a performer. He can therefore act. You know, these things do come hand in hand. So... A lot to go through here. We now are on to part two of, of this case. I've got two double-sided pieces of paper of notes here. We're on to the second one. We're halfway through. You'll be glad to hear. So Wade was um, brought in to basically defend these allegations, and Wade was excited by the possibility of defending him and saving him. You know, it's essentially how he saw it. And you can understand that, you know, in how that might be the case um, as a child, that sort of excitement of saving your idol, your hero. I get to come in and save the day. It's me, my word that's being listened to. You can understand how that'd be the case, even if if the kid's been abused, regardless of whether the kid's been abused or not, you can see how that would potentially be the case. And at this point, you've got to get into the minds of a kid who's fallen in love with this guy. Not only does he idolise him from the start, but he's also then got to meet him and he's fallen in love with him and has supposedly done these, uh, been on the end of these horrific acts uh, from, from Michael Jackson. So again, you could view this as sort of a classic abuse narrative. Again, thinking back to Tinder Swindler, except it's a different form of abuse, obviously. Um, he needed the, the women to save him to the Tinder Swindler from this sort of made-up bad people. In this case, it was made-up bad people. In the Michael Jackson case, he now needs a way to save him from the bad people i.e. the people who are prosecuting him to try and put him in jail. And so again, you can sort of draw parallels between these sort of uh, grooming and abusive type scenarios, not to say that this therefore 100% tells us that Michael Jackson was an abuser, but it does see that there is a clear, um, you can clearly see that the narratives are very, very similar there, regardless of whether it's abuse in a different form. The abuse takes shape in a similar sort of mould, and the way it's done, it's done in a very, very similar way as well. Now, in my opinion, I feel that Michael Jackson was protected by the music industry because he was such a, a financial uh, asset to them, that he was protected by the music industry for a long time, and the idolisation that he gained had also protected him as well. Interestingly, some Michael Jackson fans think that... Uh, the media actually turned on him and actually all oh, this is because of the media it's the media's fault all this this is all because of the media the media caused this i'm not actually convinced by that i actually think the media considering the level of the allegations didn't sell him down uh, as much as they probably would do nowadays they didn't cancel him in the way that would be done nowadays he was still turning up at award shows do you know what i mean like this was not someone who was kept out of society and sidelined and ostracized from ever being seen in public this guy was still out and about he was still living a pretty well i say normal life he was still living his normal life so i don't know whether we could say the media have created the story in in my opinion I think that this, he was actually, to some degree, protected by the industry, protected by his idolisation, and perhaps the media didn't do a good enough job if these allegations are true. Um, and the media were obviously re reporting on this and were probing uh, on, about the story, as you'd expect them to do. 
But I never got the feeling that he'd been labelled as guilty in the press. I, I, you know, you're still turning up to award shows. Like I say, he was still turning up to award shows. He, this was not a guilty man walking around. I don't feel like that level of guilt was placed on him like we saw with the McCann parents, for example. The media placed guilt on the McCann parents. And that I don't think or c cannot see any obvious or any clear evidence that they did the same to him. I could be wrong again, but from what I can tell, I didn't really see that. And even in the media, still now, you, you see quite a lot of articles backing up uh, Michael Jackson, as you do see articles also disparaging him as well. Um, Wade was interviewed on TV about the allegations. He was interviewed, uh, this is as a kid, on Fox News. And in my opinion, if you actually go watch this, it's in the documentary, uh, Leaving Netherland on Netflix. But it's also, I think, probably, there's probably a YouTube clip somewhere as well you can probably look at. Um, but in my opinion, he actually does show signs of deception, I think, in this clip when he's asked about, uh, he's asked by a TV reporter whether he was um, ever involved in anything sexual with Michael. I actually think he does show signs of deception here. And there's definitely something going on there. There's definitely some covering up of information there, whether it's abuse or whether it's something else. There's definitely something there that he's covering up, and there's a few reasons why. The change of blink rate, I think, is very, very clear. At one point, he actually closes his eyes as he replies no to an answer, and it's almost that sort of distancing, that eye-blocking that people can do. Um, it's, it's something that you can't disguise as a seven-year-old kid. You know, as an adult, you can be aware of those things and maybe try and mitigate yourself from doing them. As a kid, it's as much as kids do lie, it's very, very difficult to cover up a seven-year-old's facial expressions, micro-expressions, when they're lying about something. And in my opinion, it was actually written on his face, almost, that this is some deception involved at play. And I'm not necessarily saying, therefore, the allegations are true, but I am saying that I think he knew more than what he was letting on. And I think it was not just, it's not just this sort of blink rate and the eyes closing. There was also this bottom lip that tucked in, and there was sort of like a licking of this bottom lip. This all happened in the space of a few seconds. This wasn't in a 30-minute interview. This happened in a few seconds. All these different things were happening, where he was clearly very uncomfortable with the question being asked. He felt like he was covering his bottom lip, almost as like this concealing-type motion that he was doing this lip. Very unusual. If you go watch the clip, you'll probably see what I mean. It's in the documentary. Um, but yeah, it was very, very strange. He definitely made this sort of concealing movement where he tucked his lip in, licked the bottom lip, and like I say, did this sort of eye blocking of closing of the eyes as he was responding no. That I was quite uncomfortable with because to me that indicated some level of deception. Whether that meant that he was abused or not is is a bit that you're never going to 100% know from um, micro-expressions of body language. So... You know, again, you can take that from uh, from that what you will, but it's another little sort of indicator of, mm, okay, I think there's some deception in that body language. What does that deception lead us to mean? Uh, lead us to mean? And it's all about probabilities at that point. And this is why, when I come to the end of this podcast, we are going. I am going to sort of summarise and give my a personal opinion based on probabilities as opposed to fact or 100% knowing one way or the other. Um, so I think that's that's really interesting to think about. Also, in 1993 um, was when the, those allegations first took place. Interestingly, that, that was August 1993. And then in late 1993, he then proposed to, um, I think it was Lisa Marie uh, Presley, Elvis Presley's daughter, some people speculated that that was to try and um, pull the wool over people's eyes and to say, no, I, I can't abuse kids because, look, I'm into women. Here's Elvis Presley's daughter. 
just as you do. I, I kind of can see how that would be done, to be honest with you. It would not be on the rounds of possibility to get married to somebody to fake a relationship in order to cover horrific crimes. I mean, if you've committed horrific crimes, it's not beyond the rounds of possibility to do that, uh, to then go that one step further to conceal these things or to deflect from these things. So I can see that as being true. Perhaps he did do that to try and deflect from these uh, crimes. But Michael Jackson actually settles uh, this case, we should say, settles for about like 20, 25 million, I think. Um, it settles his first case with this kid. And uh, apparently that was because it would be more costly to fight the case than to pay them off. Really? I mean, pff, Michael Jackson is trading on his brand. That is the most valuable thing, is his brand. And paying them off tarnishes his brand. It makes him look guilty. Is it more expensive to fight that and clear your name? I don't know. I'm not convinced by that as an excuse, but apparently that's what he told uh, the kid's mum, that he was doing that because uh, it would be more costly to fight than pay them off. Also, it's not like he was lacking in cash at this point either. I appreciate that, you know, he had a lot of bad spending habits, but at this point, I don't think he'd have been lacking in cash in 1993. So I don't know if I buy that as an excuse. It was just cheaper to pay them off. Mm, I don't know. I don't imagine the court case costing more than 20, 25 million. Jimmy's mum then went on to say um, Michael wrote off the debt owed to Jimmy's parents for the house that they bought, meaning he essentially bought them uh, bought them it after they defended him in the court case. So were they basically bought off by Michael Jackson as a result of that? That's one of the things that's claimed by um, Jimmy's mum. Interestingly though, as we're going to get to at the end of this podcast, there are some alternative opinions to that that actually say Michael didn't buy them off by uh, letting them off with the debt on that house, on, on that loan that he'd given them, but in actual fact um, wrote it off because the parents couldn't pay and did so four or five years later. But we'll get on to that um, in, uh, at the end of the podcast because it, it is interesting to go through some of the alternative opinions, which I think are important to hear um, just to give us the other side of, of what people think. Um, but yeah, th this is what Jimmy's mum says. He says that Michael basically bought them a house by writing off um, all the money that was owed to them, and uh, that was uh, as a result of defending, them, uh, defending him in the court case. So Jimmy defended him, so in return as a, as a gift, I'm going to buy this house. That's what they claimed. Um, Wade then goes to Neverland, does the same sexual stuff with Michael again. This is as as an older, I think, fourteen year old at this point. Um, Jimmy at this point was sixteen. He was only seeing Michael occasionally, not very, not as often at this point. Uh, he was given a car by Michael at sixteen as well. So it really, it, it really feels like, and the impression that I got from some of the staff that worked at Neverland as well. Again, how much of that you want to take as truth is, is up to you. But from what I've heard, it sounds like the families were getting well looked after, shall we say, and were reaping the rewards and quite enjoying the rewards and the lifestyle of being friends with Michael Jackson. And some people think that they were perhaps exploiting that friendship as well. So there's, again, some alternative opinions to that. And I say alternative because this is the main this is the main narrative that's been pushed forward in the Neverland uh, documentary. But then, like I say, Michael Jackson gets married in 1994 to Lisa Marie uh, Presley. This was apparently to deflect from the allegations, as we've said. Um, but they then divorce. <laughs> they then divorce 18 months later. So was that to just deflect from the allegations? And when the heat died down, we no longer need to bother with this marriage. Let's get a divorce now and I can get back to, you know, go, try and do it under the radar, this abuse that I'm doing to the kids. So 
that again i think strengthens that argument you could say but oh no there's lots of hollywood um marriages that end in 18 months and again you'd be right with that as well which is why this is such a difficult thing to really extract too much from um but i think it is unusual that he would you know get married to lisa marie presley of all of all the people in the world it just happens to be elvis presley's daughter um, and the presley brand and the jackson brand uh, being merged together perhaps for the media for the press or perhaps that's been cynical. Again, up to you through whichever lens you want to put on this. Uh, Michael Jackson calls Jimmy, uh, Jimmy's family to say he wouldn't be coming over as often. And the mum says to the husband, we've been dumped. Dumped is an interesting term as well, as if they're in a relationship with him. When really it was a friendship. I thought she saw him as a son. This is not a, 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 fr- a relationship type thing. It's an unusual phrase. But I also want to know why Michael Jackson called up the family and, and said that, that he wouldn't be seeing them as often. Um, was that because of the heat that he just got from the case and therefore he had to stop seeing or being hanging around kids, that kind of thing? Was it because he wasn't interested and Jimmy was getting too old now? He's 16 at this point. And perhaps he's not interested in 16-year-olds, only interested in kids, that kind of thing. Again, it's really difficult to tell. It's really difficult to know. I think it's, if this is true, this conversation, this phone call, um, we've been dumped is a very unusual response to turn to your husband and say. Um, but he was so entrenched in their family by the sounds of it that you can feel the attachment that they clearly had. Uh, and this, uh, and then we move on to Wade, who at this point is fourteen, and he's five foot eleven, which is you know, quite tall for a fourteen-year-old. Uh, probably as tall, if not taller, than Michael Jackson at this point at fourteen. Uh, he starts a dance class, I think, in America. This is. Uh, and gets invited over to watch um, Michael Jackson rehearse for his upcoming tour in his dance class. Uh, he's invited to this hotel afterwards to stay with Michael, and the abuse happens and continues again and escalates further than they've been previously. The next day, Michael then asks to see Wade at, um, I think, his rehearsal studios or something, and he tells Wade, find your pants from last night. If there's any blood, get rid of them. So, again, covering tracks. Now, this is an interesting one. Again, why would this be made up is what I have to ask. Like, why why would he make it so that there's blood in the pants and he had to dispose of the pants and that sort of panic of, oh, God, I've got to go back. Did my mum see them? Did my mum find them or whatever? Again, it's an unusual detail to throw in there as to something had happened. Why didn't he just say, well, at 14, I was a teenager, Michael wasn't interested anymore. He's only interested in young kids. You know, that'd be so much easier. Why did he have to add this bit in? It's an unusual thing to lie about. Again, do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a strange thing. Uh, so, I don't know. It's an unusual thing for, for someone to just make up. Uh, but anyway, like I say, he claims that this is what Michael said to him. And that was then the last time that they ever did anything sexual. That was the last time they ever saw each other, and that was basically the end of the road for them. So the end of the road for Jimmy was when Michael called up, and the end of the road for Wade was when Michael basically um, told him to you know, dispose of, of, the, of his pants in case there was any blood in them. Those were kind of the last moment that the, the abuse or the connection with, between the two families ever happened. Um, you've then got, we then get introduced to Jimmy's wife. And Jimmy's wife then describes Jimmy as someone who was modest and humble and perhaps even a bit of a quiet guy. That kind of thing is is what you've got, that feeling from him. So then you've got to ask the question, well, is Jimmy's wife now lying? Is she lying about Jimmy's character? Because someone who's quiet, someone who's sort of modest, humble, doesn't try and make, you know, horrific, horrific, abusive 
uh, you know, lies about someone in order to, to get money from someone. That that as a character that that's that his wife's portraying there, it doesn't strike me as the sort of person that would do those things. So then you've got to say, well, is is Jimmy's wife lying, or is she looking through things through rose tinted glasses? But she doesn't seem like a bad person either. So you're sort of like, oh, God. like, <laughs> you know, that's that, perhaps that's true. Then perhaps you know, uh, and this is the thing for people who say that Michael Jackson is innocent. You've, you've then got to say, well, not Wade's lying. You've then got to say that um, Jimmy's lying. You've then got to say Jimmy's wife's lying. You've got to then say that the both of the mums are lying about some of the things that they're saying. And before you know it, the conspiracy gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the probabilities get smaller and smaller and smaller of this being possible for everyone to just lie about everything. You know, lie about their mental state, the mental breakdowns that they had as they got older. Uh, and their wives would then be lying about the, the, who they were as a person, the character of them. And, their, and you know, the wives dis- depict these sort of mental breakdowns and those kind of things. Again, you know, are you saying that Jimmy faked the mental breakdown or that him and his wife have always lied about the mental breakdowns? Or And you can say the same about Wade as well. Like, it just gets to a point where it's like, this is getting so unbelievable now. You're saying that this conspiracy goes so, so far that I've got to think that there's some element of truth to what's been said. You know, like, that's the point that I get to with this, that there's so many people that have to be involved in this and I just don't see the motive to be involved in this. People say, oh, it was for money. He could have sold the rings. Jimmy could have sold the rings. I appreciate Wade has sold some stuff, uh, some Michael Jackson memorabilia, and supposedly tried to do it in a private way as well to try and not be associated with these sales. So perhaps he has tried to get some money from it. I understand he does have court fees to pay and that kind of thing, making him still technically in debt, I think, to the Michael Jackson estate. But it's a very, very complicated one, this. And it's why there's um, not a lot of uh, of good... Uh, information or clear concise information that gives us a definitive uh, verdict on this I suppose you could say uh, but it, to me it just seems very unusual that all these people would be lying and if they haven't got any money from this they haven't exactly got any fame from this it's painted them out as a in a bad light the family of, of these people particularly the mums of these people it's painted them out badly so I don't know it just doesn't seem like uh, it just doesn't seem like they're lying to me from what, what I can gather from this uh, anyway, in 2003, and this answer another span into the work here, uh, the new allegations come come forward in 2003. Uh, in 2003, uh, apparently, Michael immediately starts picking up the phone daily to Wade to try and convince him to testify. Why does he do that? Does this make him look guilty? Is he just trying to go to Wade because he knows he didn't do anything to Wade, and therefore he's got nothing to worry about, and therefore we can bring him out? Or is he going to Wade because he's a close confidant that he can trust, that he's got this relationship with from the abuse, and therefore he's confident enough in Wade to go, yeah, Wade will back me up. Even though I have abused him, Wade will back me up because we love each other, that bond is there. And so that's apparently what Michael did on a, on a regular basis. Daily would try and call Wade up to convince him to testify. At this point in the second sort of uh, set of allegations that come out in 2003, Jimmy now tells his parents that Michael was not a good person. And he didn't want them involved. So this was 2003 at this point, right? So this is still quite a, a while ago. And so I think it's interesting that this is the point in which he, he says these things. Uh, he comes out and says this to his parents in 2003. So he then, uh, his Jimmy's mum basically comes out and says, um, Jimmy said to me, Michael's an evil person. You can't tell anybody. And he was begging her 
to not tell anybody. Um, she didn't want to tell anyone after feeling like she failed him the first time, so she stood by that and didn't tell anybody in 2003. I think if it was about the money, you get involved and you jump on the bandwagon and you go, well, yeah, let's just make some, some allegations up. Let's, well, let's jump into this. But if, he's, if Jimmy's only interested in the money... First of all, he would have sold the rings for money. He has, he's kept the rings for some reason. But also, he wouldn't beg his mum. Beg his mum to not tell anybody. Beg her not to get involved. That's just not what someone that was that's lying would do. That's not someone that wants money. You get involved at that point. You get involved in this 2003 um, court case at, at this point. But at this point, he tells his mum, tells his parents that he wasn't a good person. I don't want you involved, and I'm not going to get involved either. Um, so I don't know. I just it's not the words that a hungry, uh, a money hungry person would say. You know, Michael's an evil man. You can't tell anybody. Uh, and again, you could say, well, the mum was lying about that. The mum's made that up. Why? Why? Why would she make that up? You know, I don't know. It just doesn't. I don't see the motive for her to make that up. I really don't. And and that's what I struggle to see. Particularly with this bit of, of information, I struggle to see why she would make up what he said to her in 2003. I don't know. It seems odd. Uh, we are getting towards the end of uh, this documentary now, and I'll get onto the alternative opinions uh, around these kind of things. Um, Wade's mum asked him again at 21 about the abuse, and he denied it. So at 21, 22, Wade's mum came to him and asked him, did anything happen in, you know, uh, around this time of the second court case? And he denied it again. Michael asks Jimmy to testify, apparently. Jimmy Jimmy claims that Michael asked him to testify. He said no. Michael gets very angry and threatens him with his lawyers and treats him basically now as his enemy. Uh, Wade decides to testify at 2122 um, in 2003 and uh, testifies again after these consistent phone calls from Michael. He did so reluctantly and with no intention of ever revealing the truth to anyone, the truth being that he was abused. Um, it's a classic demonstration of this sort of love and loyalty to the abuser, which you so often see. This sort of, even though this person's been abused, they stay loyal to the person because they love the person, they're so attached to the person. So you can view that as the way that Wade is behaving behaving here even at 22 20 uh, even at 21 22 he's still behaving like this um if that is what you choose to believe um and then michael jackson's maid came out in this uh, court um case and basically said that she saw wade showering with michael so that's a bold thing to say uh, a bold thing to say and if at this point wade had gone yeah that was me that that was actually me then bang you you get michael pretty quickly because you have another person's opinion to corroborate that but because Wade had chosen to testify in favour of Michael, then there was no one to corroborate the maid who had claimed to see uh, Michael showering with Wade. So that's that's quite interesting. I'd love to hear more information on that. I don't. I couldn't really find too much more about that. But that's apparently what the maid claimed. I don't know whether the maid was trying to get money out of the situation. I don't know where she, how she would find get money out of that. I don't know. Yeah, it makes no sense. But she was pushing one way to say no, Michael did uh, shower with Wade and Wade was pushing back the other way saying no he didn't and then obviously subsequently changed his mind um, or decided to reveal the truth. Michael found uh, was found not guilty of all 10 of these counts in 2005 and the, san uh, the fans celebrated outside. One thing I'll never understand is people being so entrenched in celebrities' lives. And I think about it nowadays with celebrities. Um, there's certain celebrities out there who've got massive, massive fan bases. 
I think it about the Michael Jackson fan base as well. I've never idolised someone to that degree. I liked Michael Jackson a lot as a kid. I liked him enough to have, uh, you know, a, a framed drawing of him, which I bought from Cor- in, in Cornwall uh, in a silver frame. I had I liked him enough to have that on on my bed wall, my bedroom wall. Um, but I was I've never idolised anyone to to that sort of degree, which you see some people do it. There's certain fan bases. Uh, if we're going to name names, I think you pretty much know which ones I'm on about. Uh, BTS, massive, massive fan base, huge fan base that really love these people and uh, really idolise um, really idolize these people. Uh, people like Taylor Swift, huge, huge fan base as well. One Direction at a certain time. You know, the, these kind of people have these almost... Is the right word fanatic? It feels like the right word. Perhaps it's not. I don't know. Uh, but almost fanatic sort of fans who are obsessed with them and will celebrate and all these kind of things, even though they don't know anything about the actual person as an actual human being. That's That doesn't sit right with me. You know, For fans to celebrate, it's almost a celebration of, yes, my childhood hasn't been ruined. Yes, this person I idolise hasn't been found guilty. It's not a celebration of, this person's innocent. It's, they've been found innocent. But you don't actually know who they are as a person. You're celebrating this idea of the person. That I find very uncomfortable as well. This idea that fans are sort of jumping up and down and celebrating when you know, it's a celebrity. It's not someone they know personally. It's not a family member. So I, I never really understood that mentality. But it's a, a, something that's very prominent in even today's society. But also back then as well. Probably even more so back then. Um, but it's also worth saying that just because he was found not guilty by court. You know, it's not the first time that a rich person would have got away with something if if he was if he is actually guilty. So, you know, there's been lots of cases where rich people get away with things because they've got the best lawyers and they can afford to scare people away with the lawyers. You just look at the Jeffrey Epstein situation and the sweetheart deal and that kind of thing. This is from a not too dissimilar era and is around a not too dissimilar topic. You know, he got away with all sorts of things time and time again. Time and time again. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that Michael Jackson could have had some top-class lawyers as well that helped him get away with these things. It's not beyond the realms of possibility at all. In fact, it's, you know, fairly likely. You know, it's it's quite a likely thing that happens in, in celebrity world. They get these really expensive lawyers in and find some sort of, um, you know, discrepancy in the bits of information that's been given which undermines the case and therefore they are found not guilty. It is worth saying that a few of the jurors were interviewed afterwards. Uh, some of the jurors said um, there just wasn't enough evidence. Not, not enough evidence. We wanted some harder evidence than this. There was not enough evidence to convict at all. And if that's the case, absolutely the right decision then. There were jurors. One juror said, I didn't like the way in which the accusing victim's mum shook her finger at me or something like that or in our direction and so you know she didn't take very well to the victim's mum by the sounds of it there's another juror that came out from the same trial and said that he thought that michael had probably abused boys Uh, and you know just the very notion of sleeping in the same bed as a child is a very unusual thing which i think we can all agree with but there was actually one juror who did actually think that michael was guilty Uh, perhaps there was other ones as well but they came to a general conclusion that he was found not guilty on all 10 of the counts but this was quite a long prosecution it started in 2003 i think was when he was first charged and then he was found not guilty 2005 so that's basically what happened up till 2005 he then died i think in 2009 i think something like that 2009 i remember the day of his death very very well actually uh, because again i was i was a fan of michael you know i was a a fan not to some degree not to the certain degree that some people are 
but I liked his music, you know, I liked him as a performer. Uh, so I do remember that day very, very well, waking up before school, before going to primary school, and seeing it on the news being spoken about. And the person I was wa- I walked to school with uh, in primary school was a massive, massive Michael Jackson fan. He, you know, bigger than I was, had the, the fedora sort of hat, the dancing, loved performing and singing, that kind of thing. And I remember just so vividly in my mind, waiting outside my house, for this other guy who I knew was a massive Michael Jackson fan to turn up and just watching him. And we just kept eye contact as he was walking down the street because we both knew what each other were thinking. It was the big news of the day. Michael Jackson's died. And I do remember it very, very vividly that day, even though I'd have been, I guess I'd have been like nine or ten at that point. But uh, yeah, I do remember that day when he died very, very vividly. It's it's strange how vividly I remember it, actually. Uh, But we are now going to get on to the alternative opinions, the uh, the counterpoints, let's, let's call them as to the the things that were said in this documentary. Okay, so first things first, there are emails of Wade asking his mum about his visit to Neverland. Uh, Even though in the documentary it sort of implies that this is all from his memory. This is all the story that he's remembered from his memory, and perhaps it's not. Perhaps he's sort of had the blanks filled in by his mum, and he's now regurgitating the story. So some people say, well... If he's trying to fabricate this story and get information from his mum that maybe he doesn't remember, maybe he's just making the whole thing up. And so some people say that, you know, even the way it's portrayed in documentaries, if these are all his memories, is um, disingenuous, is not the best way of doing things, is not the most truthful way of doing things. And actually, how much could he have remembered really as a kid? Did he just have those blanks filled in by his mum and then has added in the sexual abuse? That's what some people think. Um, Also, Wade is two years older than Macaulay Culkin. So this idea that he was swapped out for a younger kid just isn't true because Macaulay Culkin was actually two years older than him. Again, you know, that's fact. He is is two years older than him. Uh, I think it's it's also important to say that I don't know whether... I'm not 100% sure if... um, if uh, Wade actually says he was swapped out for a younger kid or not. I don't know whether it's implied by Wade or Jimmy or both of them, I can't remember. But uh, nevertheless, Macaulay Culkin is two years older than Wade, so that doesn't quite match up that Michael was just swapping out for a younger kid because he began hanging out with Macaulay Culkin, who was two years older than him. So it doesn't really work out. Uh, and also you've got Brett Barnes, who strongly denies uh, ever being abused, as does Macaulay Culkin. Uh, Jimmy claimed he was abused in the train station at Neverland. He names the train station as one of the locations on Neverland, uh, on the Neverland Ranch, that he was abused. In actual, uh, And he actually mentions this happening between 1988 and 1992, despite, and this is apparently from the information that I've seen, despite the train station not actually being built on Neverland until 1993-1994, so at least one or two years after the alleged uh, abuse took place. So this was this at this point he'd been 15 and 16 as well, so I don't think he was still being abused at Neverland at this point. So again, is this a mistake? Did he just get his wires crossed here, or is he lying he, what, he did name it as one location on the ranch among many different locations on the ranch. This was just one that just so happened to not be built during the time period that he claimed it took place in. So that's an interesting thing that undermines um, 
things that were said in the documentary. Items were not burned at the end of the documentary. So we see at the end of the doc, there's items of supposedly Michael Jackson's clothes being burnt on, burnt on a fire as this sort of like ending thing. These are actually apparently fakes. The real uh, items were actually sold uh, in 2011 by Wade, apparently. And uh, so therefore, you know, this is just um, a fake thing to try and depict in the documentary. It was all done for um, sort of the look of the documentary to burn these Michael Jackson bits of memorabilia when actually they weren't real. They were just fakes. They, were, they weren't um, artificial. It was all done for the look, the aesthetic of it, basically. It was done for the narrative. And some people say that that therefore undermines the whole thing. Michael Jackson's niece, Brandy, was introduced to Wade as a kid and they were apparently together for more than seven years. So they were boyfriend and girlfriend as kids, apparently. And Michael introduced his niece to Wade and like I say, they um, were in a relationship for seven years, more than seven years. That's a long time to be in a relationship for as a kid as well. But that's what Brandy's. Uh, that's what Brandy came out and said. If we're to believe what Brandy says, uh, and that that's the truth, then you know they've. Been, you know why would Michael introduce someone, uh, his niece, to someone that he was supposedly in a relationship with? It, it does seem very unusual. Why would Michael do that if he loved him? Um, you know, did he love? Did he love Wade? Was he just using him for his own pleasure? Lots and lots of different questions there. But some people say the very fact that Brandy and Wade were together and it's excluded from the documentary, it's not mentioned that that relationship happened, um, is is quite unusual. I say relationship. I think they were perhaps between seven and fourteen years old here. Um, so that is that is unusual. That's not mentioned again. If we're to believe that from Brandy, it seems likely. I mean. I don't know why Brandy would lie about that. Perhaps to to cover Michael's name. Again, I've not seen anything from Wade to say that that's not true. I don't think Wade's come out and said that's not true either. So, interesting that that's probably the case. And then also, some people say, was Michael's call to Jimmy in, t in 2003, around that, that second uh, set of allegations, was that made up, that phone call, where he supposedly was abusive, abusive, supposedly was threatening with his lawyers, was supposedly turned Jimmy into an enemy? Was that just made up, is what some people say, because the judge ruled in 2005 that evidence from Jimmy would not be permitted, as he was a non-entity, so therefore there was no interest in actually getting him to testify in 2005, uh, and therefore he had no involvement in the trial whatsoever. However, that's not necessarily true. I've seen I've gone down this long list of 25 different lies that were supposedly told in this Michael Jackson documentary, and apparently the timings of that don't match up. But they do. If you actually look at the information, um, this phone call could have happened prior to that judge ruling saying that we're not going to be taking any notice of, of anything Jimmy says. That could have happened prior because the charges were brought in in December 2003. The trial began in January 2005 and the judge ruling didn't happen until March 2005. So there's a good few months there, if not longer, for Michael to call up Jimmy and be like, right, I'm gonna, I need you to testify here. Back me up, back me up. The, the trial began in 2005 in January, and then the ruling happens in, in March 2005, you know, two, three months later. So it's very possible that that abusive phone call could have happened. The timeline does work if it did happen. So this been, this was sort of spun as a lie in the documentary, but actually it could, it could be possible that that might have happened. I'm not saying it 100% did, but I'm not saying it 100% didn't either. It's possible the timelines would work for that to happen. Um, and then the, the next point is, did Michael really buy the safe truck, uh, the safe trucks a house? Apparently he gave them a loan, and five years later, in 1997, Michael Jackson's attorney forgave the loan, 
after they um, failed to pay it and asked for extensions time and time again. So actually, the loan was forgiven in 1997, but that's four years after the trial. The trial, the first trial was in 1993, where Jimmy testified, so or, or 1994 perhaps. So that's three or four years later. It's a long time to leave a gift of a house. Uh, you know, three or four years later, it's a, it's a big jump to say that that was was being paid off. It's basically what they're saying with this bit of information. So, again, this is little bits of information, probably easier to read than for me to, to uh, say it to you. Um, but this is bits of information that you can find out on various websites um, that basically undermine things that were said in the documentary. So, some people say um, that, you know, Michael didn't buy them off with a house because actually this was three or four years later. Make of that what you will, completely up to you. But let's now conclude on this as to whether we think it's likely that Michael was guilty or not guilty. Obviously, in a legal sense, he was found not guilty time and time again, or twice. Um, but actually, in reality, and I've written it down here, at the end, I think we can pretty much say, at best, he was very weird and a sick man, I think you could say. At very, very best, I think he's very weird and a sick individual that likes sleeping in in bed with kids which is just strange. You can't paint that any way and not be strange. That's a strange thing to want to do, to sleep in a bed with a kid that's not yours. It's very, very weird. Um, and he also liked kissing kids on the cheek as well. You know, the kids have admitted that Michael would hug us and would kiss on the cheek. Kissing another child, another parent's kids on the cheek. I don't know. Again, you could say, well, they were friends. They were friendly, friends of the family or whatever. But I don't know. I think at best, he was a very, very weird man who had a lot of trauma in his early years and may or may not have passed that on to um to to you know kids that that he met and groomed at worst he was a horrific pedo uh, you know that's that's the worst case scenario best case scenario he was a, at very very best he was a very weird man who liked sleeping in beds with kids i mean strange right strange very very strange behavior so he doesn't come out of this looking particularly good whichever way you want to spin it he's still weird whichever way you want to look at it whether the allegations were true or not it was probably somewhat caused by the trauma of his childhood but whether you then think he did these things or not it is completely up to you i'm not going to try and push a narrative one way or the other but i think it's most probable that i think some elements of this are true and that is the conclusion that i've come to um, you could come to your own conclusions, obviously, but for the information I've seen, I think there's there's enough reason for me to suggest that it's probable that some of these things happened. Um, to what extent, it's difficult to say. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's very, very um, tough to know for sure. And that's why it's very, very difficult. No one can say 100%. You can't say 100% if he's guilty or 100% if he's innocent. But I think I'm leaning towards him having committed some of these crimes. Otherwise, you then start saying, are all these kids lying? Are all their family members lying? Are all of them just obsessed with money? Is everyone just obsessed with money? Why haven't we seen that with other celebrities? You know, it's not exactly, you know, there's lots of celebrities out there. This It's not a common thing for these things to go to, to trial, to court in this sort of way. Um, you know, the families, did they get their money? I mean, one family did. One family got paid off for 20, 25 million. But none of the other families have really had a payoff, have they, that, that I know of? Did this push their careers? Again, this sort of narrative that they were doing it to push their career? I don't feel like it did. I don't think it helped their career at all, to be honest with you. So, I don't know, I just think it'd be a weird thing to lie about. Um, but I can understand 
you know, his fans wanting to feel him as innocent. I think a lot of fans would do that. You know, I, again, I use this, I spoke about, um, is it BTS and uh, Taylor Swift having big, big fan bases? I think nowadays, if, if horrific allegations came out about Taylor Swift, there'd be a huge section of, of people who said that that was, you know, not true or, or that people were lying. They were just interested in money or fame, that kind of thing. That's what happens when you have this idolization of people. It becomes part of your personality, part of your identity, and part of your childhood for a lot of people. And so it's difficult to ever see these things as having any truth to them. And it was, again, I, I sort of... I touched on this a little bit with the Diana episode that we did where I said, you know, I think some people want it to be a conspiracy because Diana was such seen as such an extraordinary person and she died in such an ordinary way, a car crash, and therefore people want it to be a conspiracy. They look for these details. I think with Michael Jackson, because he was such an extraordinary performer, uh, idolised in such a way and thought of so highly, the thought of him doing the complete opposite and mistreating and abusing kids in this in this way is so unthinkable to so so many people because of the way that he publicly portrayed himself as this sort of um, person who loved um, kids but in a non harmful way, in someone that would cared about kids and was generous and kind and warm and that that kind of thing. It's so difficult for them people to think of him in a different way. And again. No, no one can say either way, and we probably never will know either way. Um, but I do think it's interesting. W- one thing I do think doesn't really get enough of a mention is that there's definitely an ego with, with Michael that I don't think gets spoken about enough. There's definitely a public face that was being put on there, um, which you get with a lot of celebrities. A lot of celebrities have different public and, and private personas, and it's part of the PR image that's sculpted around them. Um, but I think with Michael, you do get the feeling that there was a big ego there. I mean, you just have to look at the way he portrayed himself as like this godlike, angelic person, this Jesus-like figure on stage with the wearing white and, you know, these big bright lights behind him that made him look sort of godlike. It takes a certain mentality to view yourself like that. And so does that make him an abuser of, of kids? Not necessarily, but again, it sort of adds to this sort of, was this the man that people thought he was behind closed doors? And and I think with that, that is pretty much where I'm going to leave it, I think. I'm curious to hear other people's opinions. I don't want this to turn into some sort of tribalistic, cult-like back and forth in the comments section of, he's innocent, he's guilty, whatever, right? Just, you know, state your opinions based on the best information that you've got, okay? This sort of idea that anybody has the absolute truth is a load of nonsense. But I'd be curious to hear your opinions. Uh, we'll hopefully be doing an episode with Toby back on the podcast about Madame McCann coming up soon. And we'll be back with our normal chassis episode as we do as well uh, for those of you new to the podcast I'd appreciate you dropping a like and subscribing it really does help us get to that 250 subscriber mark which is what we're trying to do to help grow the channel I really would appreciate you doing that and I will see you next week for another episode thanks everyone cheers <laughs>